Hello. Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for Cobra Kai and Karate Kid news, reviews, recaps, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. My name is Colin Canada. My name is Jenny Carlson. Yes, we are cartographers of the Miyagi-verse, although we were stuck in a pocket dimension for a couple of months there. We actually had to extract this footage from a hard drive we thought was dead, but Colin deftly resurrected it. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it sounds more uh, dynamic than it actually is. Uh, just one of those podcasting occupational hazards. Always back up. Always have. Uh, always back up. Always have a plan B because you never know what's going to happen to those recordings if plan A goes south. Indeed. The good news is I did have a plan B and that was <laughs> recovering the the information off the laptop. So Indeed. It, it is fine. We're here now with our latest recap. We are on season three, episode four. We will be discussing that with you in a minute. There have been many items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse in the meantime. Hayden Schlossberg was doing shout outs to the fandom for his favorite content creators. He gave us a little tip, which really made our heart grow three sizes. Also, we were really heartened by how the, the Cobra Kai community rallied around the AAPI community in the wake of rising hate crimes and particularly the Atlanta area shooting. Yeah, Michael Jonathan Smith, um, who is one of the writers on Cobra Kai, did a really cool thing where he streamed Destiny on Twitch to raise money for Stop AAPI Hate, where if you donated, you could ask a question. I think they should do that more often. Absolutely. So it's neat to see members of the Miyagi-verse using their excitement and interest for to help out particularly on this issue. Agreed. Yeah, so, you know, we've been in and out, but obviously we are excited because they have wrapped season four. Mm-hmm. Um, slowly watching set pictures and those that they released, uh, those that we could see. Um, it's pretty wild to finally see our team as recognized Emmy contenders for acting. It's been wild out there in the Miyagi-verse, y'all. A lot of productions, as quarantine has kind of gotten under control, have either uh, been filming under controlled conditions, or they've just finished filming, or they're about to start filming, and Cobra Kai is definitely one of them, and we are very excited to see what they turn out. Uh, Hopefully they've used that Mandalorian technology to make everybody look like they're in the room at the same time fighting each other. But yeah, we'll we'll just have to see. Yeah, and the season will be released sooner than we had to wait, obviously, for season three, but it's going to be later this year. So we're very stoked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are back, and since we're back on track, I think it's safe to say we'll have all our recaps done before the new season drops we better if we yeah. don't, I don't i'm gonna have to go to, in a movie or two if we don't i'm gonna have to go to okinawa and find myself okay well yeah. as long as you bring that suntory highball uh with you yeah i'll do what i can yeah excellent well speaking of why don't we just jump right into today's episode i'm down i'm ready it's one of my faves yes it's a it's an unproblematic fave. It's season three, episode four, The Right Path. The Right Path. Here we are. We are currently in Tokyo at... Well, We're currently in Tokyo at a nondescript, uh, but kind of sterile looking uh, bar. Daniel is glancing askance over his shoulder at some Japanese businessmen yelling bonsai. They yell bonsai aloud, mm-hmm. but the subtitles say kampai. And one reason they do, uh, I mean, obviously the bonsai is a callback to when Mr. Miyagi's super drunk in The Karate Kid. But is it that we misheard it or... Are they actually saying bonsai? Do you want to roll it back real quick? We could roll it back really quickly if you want. This is, a rare, uh, this is a rare audible that we're doing during the episode. I'm going to crank the volume up to 100 here. Here, give it a listen. I heard a B. I heard a B. Okay. This is a really interesting moment. I just want to already pause and geek out a little bit. Because mm-hmm. as Daniel's sitting there, you know, nursing his feelings at the bar, there are guys in suits, apparently businessmen, 
uh, all toasting and yelling bonsai, which is Mr. Miyagi's, you know, when he gets really drunk, he says bonsai. My understanding is if you're toasting in Japanese, the polite version is kampai. Right. Um, but then if you want to get wild, well, you yell in bonsai. So the subtitles here say kampai. Right? right, so they they're they're politically correct subtitles, but when they're saying bonsai, so I talked to my friend Klaus. Klaus is probably listening to this right now. Mm-hmm. Klaus is an anthropologist of Japan. Oh well, then yes, let's defer to him. By all and means, he is also Japanese. So I was I was talking to him about this. The thing is, when Mr. Miyagi says bonsai, it's, it has an almost militaristic callback because it is something that they used to say to the emperor. You know, a thousand years to the emperor. It's sort of uncharacteristic that Mr. Miyagi would have ever said it, but it makes sense that he would have said it when completely plastered. The other use of bonsai today in Japan is like victories. Like if like the Liberal Democratic Party in Japan jumps up and waves their arms when something happens and they say bonsai. So while it still has these connotations, and if you Google it, you can find fascist imagery pretty fast, it also does have this niche moment. So Klaus, again, massive Cobra Kai fan like us, said that, it makes sense people in a car company might say it. But it's interesting that Netflix has the politically correct word when that's not at all. That is very interesting. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. There's a disjuncture between the subtitles and what they're actually saying. Not the first time it's happened. A little unusual for Netflix, though. Uh, I think it's that the, the word... The YouTube captions were all over the place at some points. I don't think that Netflix is trying to be PC, you know, like some BS like that. I think it has a different meaning when it's written. Than it does when it's spoken. Ooh, okay. And when you write it down, it's like something that takes on a different historical connotation. So Daniel's at the bar drinking what looks like a whiskey. He's watching people toast. He's flashing back to a few minutes ago when he pitched Doyona, the car company that used to supply LaRusso Auto. But he was unsuccessful. I'm sorry to say the wheels are already in motion. Thank you for coming over this way. Daniel apparently has flown a thousand miles just to and that's never a good feeling the suit that he's wearing is amazing i just have to say the stitching along the edge of the lapels is truly a sight to behold oh no daniel's suits are out of this world you're gonna like the way you look i guarantee it so when he's unsuccessfully pitching doyona they tell him that he did an excellent job But it's not just about sales. They are, like everyone, trying to avoid negative PR. And the deal has already been done. Of course, there is a polite bowing. And now, again from the bar, Daniel is flashing back on his conversation with Amanda. Daniel, if it can't be, done, It can be. And he's like, I'm coming home with a yes. Don't worry. Of course, he's being Daniel. Go work your magic. Typical Daniel bluster. He's like, like, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to push my idea through. Whether it's making amends with Doyona or starting Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees. Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees was a solid business plan. We just ran into some bad luck. I'm going to make it work. Come heck or high water, yeah. He's looking at his phone, scrolling through pictures, Mr. Miyagi and him. Also, a picture of what might be him with Julia Macho, but with Mary Mauser's face superimposed over it. It's your standard TV flashback photoshop job it's like yeah they needed a picture of little sam so they did what they had to do i just you know have to hand it to this show and all the people in it that i know so much about their lives hopefully in a not creepy way that i was like oh yeah that's julia probably hmm yes anyway as he's doing that uh, the bartender who's kenji played by michael sasaki if you haven't listened to his interview on cobra kai companion you should kenji is sliding over a glass of whiskey with a round ball of ice Daniel's getting a refresh on his Suntory whiskey. Uh, We bought a bottle the other day. We did. I got to say, very nice, very smooth, uh, good for a nice highball. It's a nice, easy mix, as they say, good cocktail. Um, But I'm sure you can also do it straight the way Daniel is doing it. But yeah, make sure you have a nice, big chunk of pure ice or some whiskey uh, chillers in there for the best experience yeah you want to drink it ice ice cold again i had consulted with klaus who is currently in hiroshima klaus went to the supermarket and sent us a picture of canned centauri highballs 
Mmm, delicious. I know. If I could get that straight out of the can, we would be in trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, we do it Texas style, which means we're mixing our highballs with Topo Chico Mexican mineral water. We review Suntory Highball on a on a future episode as we drink it. Indeed. Yes. Maybe for the season finale. So Kenji has slid this straight whiskey over to Daniel. He's asking about the picture of Mr. Miyagi. And Daniel says, like, I'm afraid he's no longer with us. And Kenji says, very American way of thinking. He's saying that in Japan, you can always visit someone. They speak to us even when they are gone. I don't know what you would say. Of, no one's ever really gone, no Colin. No one's ever really gone. He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this some radical new therapy? You see? It's, it's a, a more mystical way of thinking where it's like, yeah, you can always visit someone. Uh, and then as if... A bolt out of the blue. The nature. The tradition. Just the right advertisement comes on the TV behind him. In Okinawa. Inviting him to come see Okinawa. Which is, one, convenient that the ad was in English. And two, (laughs) conveniently at just the right time to finally cement in his head what Daniel needs to do, which is... Well, since he flew all the way to Tokyo anyway, he might as well take the plane ride down to Okinawa and go reconnect with Mr. Miyagi's home, if not Mr. Miyagi himself. And we get a gorgeous establishing shot. This is one of those reasons they went to Okinawa over Mm -hmm. the islands. Meanwhile, the first scene is Cobra Kai. We're in the dojo. We've got Kreese explaining. Never underestimate your enemy. Even if you think they're weaker than you, you always have to stay one step ahead of them. We're back at Cobra Kai, and Kreese has devised this very basic exercise to evaluate the cleverness of his new Cobra Kai recruits, uh, Rickenbacker et al. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Kreese's lesson is basically that you want your enemies to underestimate you. All the new Cobras are invited to try and knock this bonsai tree... Bonsai tree. ...off the top of a post... And uh, everyone gives it a shot, mostly by doing crazy flips and high kicks. But no one can quite reach that because the post just happens to be conveniently just a, uh, like maybe a half a head taller than the tallest student. And then Hawk rolls up and Kreese asks him, don't you want a running start? And Hawk's like, don't need one. Basically, he just kicks the post over. And knocks the poor bonsai tree to the ground. Yep. So here is the lesson. Kree says, Unlike you, he did exactly what I asked him to do. If your mind is agile, so are you. That's the best way to beat your enemy. An interesting turn. And uh, again, this kind of differentiates Kreese and Cobra Kai from most movie villains, right? It's like even in the early Karate Kid movies, like, he preaches to destroy your enemy at all costs, but he also wants his students to think tactically, work smarter, not harder, He's in the order special... to destroy everyone and everything. He's the special ops sensei. He is. And you can see Hawk just lapping all that up. Meanwhile, at West Valley General, Miguel is in his hospital room. He's looking at his phone, scrolling through Insta, and he can see Hawk kicking the bonsai tree off the post and all the all the propaganda that's in Hawk's feet and Miguel is just super over it. And the nurse asks him what's wrong. She wants to, you know, turn on the TV or get him a pillow. And Miguel says he's just thinking about whether his surgery worked. The best that the nurse can tell him is that basically she's like, no sad thoughts here. Oh, we mustn't dwell. No, not today. We can't. Not on Rex Manning Day. Let me get you some chocolate cake. Points for well-wishing, I guess. Meanwhile, in the lobby of this space, West Valley General is a very small hospital. Johnny is on the phone with Pastor Bobby, explaining that he knows he screwed up by not showing up for Robbie last episode. I know. I'm sorry, Bobby. I screwed up. Just tell Robbie I'll make things right. Then the same nurse who was just talking to Miguel comes out and Johnny comes over to ask her somehow. Everybody knows who exactly to talk to. She says that time is going to tell about his surgery because Johnny wants to know if he'll walk again. Everyone wants the answer now, right? That's not how life works. 
But she offers Johnny the chance to go visit him, and Johnny says, no, he needs to be with his family. So, again, Johnny is refusing the call. Here the call is to reconcile with Miguel. It's interesting for Johnny because, again, he kind of dodged Robbie to go be with Miguel during his surgery, but he doesn't want to see Miguel immediately after recovery. He's still got a lot of conflicting emotions around around what's going on here so meanwhile we've got daniel getting off the escalator in the okinawa airport man he, he looks so excited there's some beautiful orchids there by the escalator this looks like these are the shots shot in okinawa he gets in a cab and the cab driver doesn't look like he's going to kill him which is already an improvement on the last time when chosen was the driver who picked up daniel and mr miyagi daniel arrives in okinawa the real okinawa not hawaii and we know that because we get a real japanese taxi we get real driving through villages down streets and through mountains yeah like there's absolutely no doubt now the funny thing is Daniel, on his way, has these fugue moments where he's thinking back to Karate Kid 2, and you can clearly see the way Tomy Village was portrayed in the original movie versus the current filming setup. They're both beautiful places, but yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting in a moment when Daniel arrives at the actual Tommy village yeah the music that's playing is they're driving and daniel is flashing back on on these scenes from the karate kid part two it's just lovely and you know we see him in the flashbacks talking about how Tommy village is the town that time forgot and you can already see when he's driving that the okinawa looks very developed now when he gets out of the car he has landed at what appears to be an outdoor mall daniel has now arrived at Tommy village green uh, unfortunately, time has caught up to Tomy Village. Someone paved Paradise, put up a parking lot, and then a mini mall right next to it. They've got, you know, KFC, Red Lobster. Mm-hmm. What more do you need? Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Oh, yes. Daniel arrives at Brand Integration Mall. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the valley at the 7th Street Community Center, which is basically a soup kitchen, we have Robbie in a hairnet with some other folks from the Department of Corrections spooning food into bowls and up comes Johnny and Robbie says you're not supposed to be here and Johnny says it's the only way I could see you so you know Johnny tells Robbie it's the only way I could see you I thought you were doing community service to try to get out early that's good but then Johnny notices Robbie's black eye is that a black eye are you fighting in there after everything that's happened fortunately Robbie shuts him down pretty much immediately you're seriously gonna lecture me about starting fights it's just so typical that Johnny would assume the worst of Robbie and not that he was getting his ass kicked. Johnny's trying to apologize. You know, Robbie doesn't want it. He's like, what? That you're in my corner? That you got my back? Because let's be honest, that means jack shit. Um, and then he says, you know, Daniel said the same thing. And Johnny's like, don't. Yeah, forget about LaRusso. Hey! At this moment, we have a comic interlude because Lynn, played by Susan Gallagher, is here. One thing I love about this is that everyone has always been in a situation where they really shouldn't be there. Like in the case of Johnny, he he's not homeless. He he's got his situation, but he's there, and of course Lynn knows it, right? So she's right. calling him out. Quit holding up the line. Don't make me throw a shoe at you. And he doesn't mean to to take anything from anyone. He just has to be there because that's the only way he can talk to Robbie. But the awkwardness is something they play with so well. That's the thing this show does great, which is just pl- finding the awkwardest moments and then living in them for a little while. Well, in a way, this is just one of johnny's new undercover identities we've had we've had handyman johnny we've had dr 80s and now i guess we have uh johnny hard times johnny hard times rolling up in the community center exactly lynn fan favorite tells johnny that is he stalking her of course not yeah <laughs> she calls dibs on them beams as is her want i call dibs on them beams robbie then tells johnny that if Johnny wants to talk, he'll have to wait his turn because uh, Robbie is going to be busy for the next two to four years. Yep. So Johnny walks off. He's going to wait for Robbie till he gets done with his shift. Robbie looks grim at the thought of having to talk to Johnny, but Johnny is staying. So yeah. Robbie's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You can just tell from his face that this is just yeah. He's going to have to deal with both. He's going to have to deal with both Robbie and dodging advances from Houseless Lynn. So. Exactly. Meanwhile, back at West Valley High, we have Dimitri walking in, asking... Hey, 
Moon, and Yasmin. If you ready to rock? Yeah, Dimitri. Our Earth Science presentation? I'm ready to go back to a world where we don't have to talk to each other on a regular basis. Uh, Dimitri's always one with the lines. Yasmin can barely hide her disgust, but Dimitri replies, maybe we can meet in the middle. Like a sexual Venn diagram. <laughs> well, that's because he's his popularity is on the ascendancy while she is not as popular as she used to be. But under the sheet of the thing that he carried in Behold. is, in fact, a massive dinosaur habitat built entirely out of Lego. What scientists believe to be the valley when dinosaurs roam the earth. Uh, Dimitri has a science project brand integration with a building block company uh, and he's made a massive model <laughs> approximately 8,251 Lego pieces and Hawk sees this and then kicks his ball representing the exact moment before the asteroid hit the oh! Earth. Dimitri replies that that model took three weeks to make and Hawk replies with the aphorism it took my ball three seconds to destroy like trust itself indeed Dimitri's had enough he he comes back at Hawk with another quip about his aneurysis and... Better back off or you won't be lucky. Yeah, like you'll start anything, princess. Once again, Hawk calls Sam princess when Sam rolls up. Wow, excuse me, princess. To defend Dimitri's honor. It's at that moment Sam starts shoving and Counselor Blatt rolls in to break up the ruckus. Hawk doesn't just say that Sam's a princess, though. He suggests that, you know, she should sleep around with another guy and break his heart. So what's happening is is that Hawk is cranking Miyagi-Do up, and then here comes Counselor Blatt, who's been sailing around like an Imperial Star Destroyer, coming to tell the students that they need to break it up. And that, you know, and she's blaming Sam because Sam was the one that she overheard getting mad, right? So Hawk has been sort of creating a situation where he looks like the victim. And when Counselor Blatt questions them... Yeah, she definitely triggered me in my safe space. Hawk is the first to co-opt the language of good intent and try to kind of downplay his role in the fracas. Yes. She tells them to break it up and has more pity for Cobra Kai and Dimitri and Sam are pissed off about it. Meanwhile, back at Tomy Village Green, Daniel is walking with his rolling suitcase, staring at all of the fast food places like KFC, Baskin Robbins, and American Eagle. And we see then he's talking to Ren, who is probably the host of this restaurant, asking weren't people upset? And she's like, no. So Mr. Sato turned to a whole new economy. She's played by Miki Yamashita. She's explaining that there are a lot of changes. It brought them jobs. It saved the village. There are a lot of changes. We used to have a subway. Now we have a Jersey Mike's. They used to have a brand integration. Now they have another brand integration. Thanks, Sato. Miyagi. 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 You forget. You betray me. Then you die as you have lived. A coward. So many, so many gifts left behind. But everyone seems very happy here. This is a great moment because Daniel's here wanting this idealized vision from his youth. And, you know, that was never entirely Okinawa. And now he's having to change with the times just like Okinawa has. So meanwhile, in one corner of the mall, he sees some children dancing on a stage. And we have people in the crowd, including some GIs, right? Because it's Okinawa walking up to look. And there's a woman leading the children dancing in the middle. And she's got her back to the crowd, but when she turns around, we see... Well, one of these people with jobs is Kumiko from Karate Kid 2, everybody. Exactly. Tamlin Tamita's back. And just to drive home the point, we get another Daniel Fugue state to where he remembers all the good times with Kumiko back in Karate Kid 2. I don't know if it's Daniel's Fugue state, but it's certainly mine because I love Kumiko. We stand Kumiko on this podcast. We also stand Tamlin Tamita. Tamlin! Tamlin Tamita! You might know me from Karate Kid 2, Joe That Club. You might have seen me on Glee. So, once again, when they flash back to that hot, hot tea ceremony, we are here for it. Ralph Macchio absolutely comes alive here. And it makes sense because this is one of the few actors from the past that we've really gotten to hang out with that isn't a Cobra, right? Aside from Randy Heller. Yeah, here she is, and they're both really excited to spot each other across the Tommy Village Green. Daniel-san? 
Oh no, it's perfect. Meanwhile, back in California at the soup kitchen, Johnny is rekindling an old flame. Fan favorite, Lynn the Unhoused, yelling at Johnny. Johnny immediately uh, extricates himself, although he does give Lynn his leftover soup, so maybe there's more there than we think. It's true. It's true. You never know. I mean, in the end. Anyway, Robbie is carrying a giant pot of beans and Johnny comes to help him. Robbie says he doesn't want his help, but Johnny's like, yeah. But you're my kid and I'm your dad. So let me give you a hand. Then he says to Robbie that they were headed in the right direction before that fight at the school. And Robbie's like, we had one good day. And where have you been since then? He wants to know why Johnny didn't show up. And then Johnny is like apologizing, but saying, I wanted to be there. Something happened at the hospital. Which, of course, sets Robbie off again. I shouldn't be surprised that you chose Miguel over me again. Because, you know, that is Miguel. Johnny retorts that he's trying to make things right. Uh, He's not the one. Hey, I'm not the one who put him in the hospital. Which, of course, Johnny reaches for Robbie and Robbie reacting, you know, flails back and that knocks over the pot of beans. So now everyone is embarrassed. It's super awkward. The guys in the back, including Sean and his and his minions. are laughing at Robbie, meaning he's going to get even more trouble when he gets home. Cut to across town at the West Valley High Athletic Field where Sam and Dimitri are getting ready to take the soccer pitch. You can hear the West Valley cheer that is the same as it was in the 1980s in the background. Uh, Go fight win West Valley. Cobra Kai's are walking out wearing all the same red bibs over their jerseys, I guess. uniforms, yeah. That's how you can tell who they are. They walk up like a school of sharks. Because they are. Dimitri says he wishes he could do something, and Sam says, We can. How? Councilor Blatt will give us detention just for breathing near them. I don't see her anywhere, do you? Besides, let's game of soccer without a little physical contact. Apparently, Sam's seen 2001's Shaolin Soccer and decides to turn this soccer match into a karate fight or this karate fight into a soccer match. It's really kind of hard to tell at a certain point, but careful viewers will see a couple of those shots from this fight montage are pretty much directly out of Shaolin Soccer. And rightly so. They're scrapping because Sam is like, Counselor Blatt is not here. So they're tripping up the Cobra Kai's and messing with them. You know, Dimitri's running along, Hawk. She loved you, you know. And takes advantage of that moment of vulnerability to shove him to the ground, to get him in an aggro frame of mind and then and then push him to the ground. But yeah, they, the music that's playing is the same music. It's, it's ro- Rock and Roll Over You by the Moody Blues that played during the ice uh, chopping scene in the Karate Kid Part 2. So it's a nice little callback here in another form. And Hawk is telling the other Cobras who are real mad. Remember what Sensei said, fight smart. That's right. Hawk has taken Kreese's evil lessons to heart and decided to fight smart. Meanwhile, Sam and Dimitri are using the ball to either feint towards the Cobras and get them to run into each other, or in Dimitri's case, just kick them. The coach, though. Or in Sam's case, she does a, a wild kick flip where she basically hits a dude in the face with her soccer shin pad. Yeah, it's incredible. And the coach has had enough. She blows the whistle and they're all in trouble. Principal's office now. As well they should be. Cut to Tomi Village Green, where over tea, Kamiko tells Daniel that after she finished college, she traveled all over the world. This is a great scene because we basically get all the highlights of what happened to Kamiko after Karate Kid 2, and it sounds pretty rad. Yeah, it does. She traveled all over the world, and Daniel says, Did you have a favorite place? And she says, London. And of course, typical Daniel, he's like, Ah, uh, let me guess, the tea. <laughs> no. And she's like, I got to see the cranberries open for Radiohead. Yeah, 90s kids will remember Kamiko's experience because apparently she's into the whole alt-rock scene. And you know what? We are there for it. Daniel tells Kamiko that he's really sorry to hear that Yukie died. So, you know, Kumiko is also explaining to him that... After I moved back to Okinawa, Auntie Yukie got sick. This was always my home. So that's how she wound up back on Okinawa. And Kumiko says, I know deep down, you know, she wanted me to get married. Um, but instead, Kumiko stayed. And this is another callback to the Karate Kid Part 2 using Daniel's words, free agent. And Daniel says, I'm supposed to believe that a guy never got a ring on that finger. Many times. And she, you know, responds, none of them fought to the death for me. We all want to live in the glory of love, don't we? 
she also uh, opines that maybe if we'd had Facebook and Instagram, we would have never lost touch after 30 years. That's true. That is some stellar product placement. Daniel can't believe that this is happening. Uh, again, it's just fantastic to see Ralph Macchio come alive in these scenes and also to see Tamlin Tamita really providing the gravitas that anchors this episode. And she wants to know from Daniel why he's really here. And he's like, I told you my business. And she's like, why are you really here? I'm looking for someone. Looking? Found someone you have, I would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doyona's all the way in Tokyo. Daniel reveals that he came back because he feels like he has no direction and he needed to reconnect. Like Kumiko, he's lived his dreams. He should be counting his blessings. But things are going sideways for him and everyone looks to him for answers and he doesn't know what to do. She considers what he said and, you know, she talks about her own fears and the nightmare where you go on stage and don't know the choreography. And, you know, this is basically where Daniel's at. And this is a moment for Daniel to say he's the same age now as Mr. Miyagi was when they met. He says that he used to go to Mr. Miyagi for answers, but now he doesn't have him anymore and he wishes that he could be here to help guide him. And Kumiko, in keeping with the theme that Kenji opened up with No One's Ever Really Gone, she says, I think I can make that happen. Kumiko has a clever idea. Cut to a West Valley dive bar. Yeah, so Daniel and Kumiko were drinking tea, but of course Johnny is drinking banquets and shelling peanuts at the end of a dive bar. Uh, the bartender tries to make conversation with him, and Johnny is not having it. I'm not in a talking mood. Johnny's just sitting there feeling bad about all his many social failures. When in walks John Kreese. Barkeep, Cutty in water. Kreese rolls in, saying that he thought he'd find Johnny here, suggesting that Johnny is over his temper tantrum and maybe that they can talk like adults. He drinks. But Johnny has never been interested in talking like an adult in his life and is about to jump up and bust Crease's face when uh, a cop walks in ordering a sandwich to go, giving them a ticking clock in the form of this chicken sandwich where they three minutes. where they cannot fight for three minutes. Exactly. Also, I just want to note, since we've already discussed booze once, Crease's drink of choice is a cutty and water. We've got some sensei student discussion here. Kreese says, You're in a bad place, and I probably put you there, but you gotta believe it was for your own good. I have to give them credit because they know how to light him so that his slightly triangular head really does look like a pit viper. He says, You did the impossible. You brought Cobra Kai back to life. You brought me back to life. This line is perfect because it reminds me that we're really in a kind of a karate-centric once upon a time where fairy tale characters come to life and have to reckon with their own sentience. You went to a long dead octopus for advice and you're going to blame me for your problems? You know, Kree says to Johnny, I kept warning you, but you didn't listen. So I had to act. Again, he's just a, you know, a father figure who cares. Yeah, he says, You may hate my guts. I know you more than you know yourself, but I will always be your teacher. Um, thanks? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can tell it's having an impact on Johnny, but Johnny is not going to be moved by Kreese's request for him to come back. Kreese tells him, And there's only one way to get you out of this funk. The way of the fist. You were the best, Johnny. And you can teach that to these kids. And then he says, And when our boy comes back, we'll help him get up on his feet. And Johnny looks at Kreese like, this is the moment where if there was any fear if we were at all afraid that Johnny was being brought in by Kreese again, he looks at Kreese and says, Go anywhere near Miguel or his family, and I'll kill you. So we know that Johnny is not buying it this time. You know, now the cop got a sandwich. Kreese's time is up, so he heads out. Johnny is looking at Kreese like he wants to kill him. And of course, Kreese tells him, think about what I said. And we should think about what Kreese said, because are we really sure that Kreese is talking about Miguel? When he tells Johnny when our boy gets up, right? That's a very good point. It's Kreese leaves it a little unclear, but Johnny immediately thinks he's talking about Miguel. Meanwhile, back at West Valley High, we see the Cobras and the Miyagi-Dos facing off against each other outside of Counselor Blatt's office, and out comes Hawk. Counselor Blatt tells the Cobra Kai's they can go, and then she says that the rest of them are receiving rehabilitative, not punitive, weekend detention. Detention? Of course, Dimitri is upset about what this does to his permanent record. It's another blemish on my permanent record. And Sam says, This is bullshit! Yeah, Sam's losing her shit in this scene. School sucks! Because 
she sees the Cobra Kai's getting off light and them getting detention. Dimitri replies Mariah Carey style with an, I don't know her. Part of the deal here is that Hawk is co-opting the language people use to talk earnestly about safety and fairness. Yeah, exactly. By co-opting the language of good intent, he's disguised himself as a well-intentioned person when really he's trying to sabotage the system from within. And all of these things, which is often derided as the PC police, he's co-opting the language and using it and speaking Counselor Blatt's language so she's taken in by it. Meanwhile, back in Okinawa, Daniel is sitting inside a beautiful garden in inside of a house, right? So it's sort of like an atrium outdoors, indoor courtyard. And Kumiko walks up to him. He says, this is Yuki's house. And Kumiko says, she left it to me after she passed. And I just don't have the heart to sell it. Of course, Daniel says he can relate, right? Because that's how he is about Mr. Miyagi's house. But Kumiko has been off looking for something. And what is it but a box? Full of letters. Let's see how Open it... up the CBS mailbag. Here we go. That's right. Miko has all of Yukie's stuff, including all the love letters that Mr. Miyagi wrote to Yukie. Of course, Daniel can't believe that Mr. Miyagi wrote love letters. None of us are surprised, really. We saw. So she reads the first one aloud. It's a declaration of love from Mr. Miyagi to Yukie, saying that. He's loved her ever since she first smiled at him. And that one good thing came out of their time apart, which is that he got to fall in love with her all over again. (laughs) Tamlin Tamita is just the MVP here, holding down the entire narrative by channeling all of these characters who are no longer with us. We have Daniel sifting through these letters. I think the best acting that Ralph Macchio has done on this show, being beguiled and then distraught because he's found a letter written the week that Mr. Miyagi died. And Kumiko asked if he would like her to read it and he looks a little afraid but also he wants to hear it. So, hands her the letter. My sweetheart Ikie I'm sorry it has been a long time since my last letter. I am sorry to tell you that I am back in hospital. There is nothing to do except watch TV and think. Again, why Tamlin Tamita is here is because we need someone with some gravitas to anchor this scene. And I think this is is a very critical scene and very foundational to not only this episode, but possibly the whole season and maybe the whole series in life i have always looked for signs to show me the right way but i got lost this is an episode written by michael jonathan smith it's really impressive to see all these people commit so much to mr miyagi uh and and what pat marita created and what they all worlded in the karate kid part two and it all gets distilled into this one moment as she reads aloud. Until I met Daniel-san, I'm very proud of the man he has become. It's Ralph Macchio's emotions here carry the scene and make it real. Daniel-san has welcomed me into his family, and he has passed on what I teach him in Miyagi-do to his daughter. It's really impressive what Tamlin Tamina does with her voice here because her pacing now sounds like Mr. Miyagi. Samantha makes me feel like I'm her tanme grandfather. And with Kamiko crying, Daniel tearing up, she reads, I never thought I would have a family again. And he says, in life, Mr. Miyagi says, we always lose our way, but it is people. Not the signs that guide us back to the right path. Do you like that, Yukie? I heard that in a car commercial. Oh, Miyagi's still funny. Exactly, he's still got funny it. Funny guy. That's right. 
悲しいな鳴り惜しみやぎ And she reads the, the closing,、uh, closes the letter. They both look very moved. And、uh, Daniel says, Thank you, Mr. Miyagi. And thank you, Kumiko. Boy, we owe her a debt of gratitude, too, right? Oh, absolutely. Daniel is thoroughly beguiled, as are we all. Yeah, and he's given a great relief, I think. And she hands him the letter, and now he can keep it. Meanwhile, the story, continues. the story continues back in California, back at West Valley General, where、uh, Miguel is having his own emotional struggle trying to grab his phone off a nearby cart. Exactly.、Um, this is the first time they've talked since Miguel told Johnny to leave him alone before. Johnny's in full on sensei mode again. He takes the cart, slides the phone away, tells Miguel that he's going to have to get over and get it. And the old theme music from when they were training. Uh, starts playing, and Johnny says, It's time for you to get out of bed and do something. Well, that and and Miguel falls for it hook, line, and sinker. When Johnny comes in and starts doing his sensei thing, like he and Miguel lock into an old pattern, and instantly Miguel kind of like perks up and gets that like eager to please puppy dog look on his face, and he's like, If you to get out of that bed and do something, you have to crawl across the floor. Use your damn teeth if you have to. Yes, sensei. And he reaches for the bar on the side of the hospital bed, and Johnny's like, You got this, that's it. Leans over to try to reach for the phone.、Um, things look hopeful, things look possible.、Oh, Reaching for the phone, and then boom, out of the bed he goes. But Johnny says, It's all right, you felt like a champ. Nurse! It's vintage Johnny. Absolutely. Meanwhile, back at juvenile detention. Sean and his bully pals are making fun of Robbie and the display back at the soup kitchen. And they also shredded his Lord of the Flies. Now he'll never know that violence isn't the answer. Guards come in to let Robbie know that he has a new visitor. Of course, Robbie, very curious as to who it could possibly be because, you know, he thinks he's had all his chances at visitors. But the fact that the phrase is have a visitor should have been the clue because there he is with his cobra like head, John Kreese. Rearing up to look at Robbie from where he's sitting at the table. That's right. Crease has a new angle, but we'll have to put a pin in that because we've got to get back over to Tomi Village Green in Okinawa, Japan. Where a bartender is chopping ice off a block, not with her hand, but rather putting it into glasses, and Daniel and Kumiko are toasting each other. Daniel is ardently saying to you, Kumiko, hearing those letters last night, it was like I was back with Mr. Miyagi. That's really all Daniel could ever ask, right? Because he too has been brought to life and is looking for a way to live as a fanfic character come to life. Kamiko also gets to channel her Mr. Miyagi, Yukie, and says that Auntie Yuki would always tell me, put good out in the world and good will come back to you. You know, she says that I know things are unfinished, but it will work out. I know it will. And Daniel says, I hope so. It's really interesting to see these characters in middle age now、um, and just so happy to see each other, but yet dealing with the bittersweet reality of adult pressures and problems. So, yeah, she's very confident. And as they go to drink their drinks, their glasses run into each other, their hands touch, and we have a, a little moment where we think, oh, maybe. Maybe something's going to happen. They both look still interested in each other. But then the virgin alarm goes off, and this time the virgin alarm is. Daniel Sock! A peal of Karate Kid 2 music swells on the soundtrack as we get a sizzle reel showing Chosen from Karate Kid 2 has busted in the door. We get a bump, bump, bump to Chosen End Snake. Yeah, we do. So, what do we think about this episode, Jenny? This episode is, is just, I, I've been waiting for Okinawa for so long, and we're there, and I'm so excited. Absolutely. I mean, like, this was teased for ages. The, the showrunners, you know, they keep these things close to the vest as they often must.、Uh, but. For all intents and purposes, like we, we had an inkling that we would be going to Okinawa. I had no idea we'd be spending so much time here that we get so much face time 
with Kamiko, but I'm so glad that we did. I think it's very interesting the lengths this episode goes to to set up parallels. Like we've got kind of we've got Kamiko as kind of the parallel to Daniel in a lot of ways. Like she's found success in her life, but she's also lost Yukie, who in this episode they kind of retcon to make her like the analog to Mr. Miyagi for Kamiko. And I think that's a pretty apt comparison. I think there's a lot of work to kind of parallel Daniel and Johnny's journeys to where Daniel goes to a lot of lengths to reconnect with his core sensibilities. Uh, and so does Johnny, too, because, again, by the end, Johnny is back in the hospital room with Miguel and he's back in his old sensei mode. You know, and by the end of this episode, Daniel is feeling a lot more connected to Mr. Miyagi when he gets a big turn into Chosen. There's a lot going on. And they also use it to humorous effect, right? It's like Daniel's getting along great with Kamiko right at the exact moment that Houseless Lynn is hitting on Johnny in the soup kitchen. Like, they do a lot of fun, like, little turns in the writing in this episode. I think it's uh, really a masterful way of handling these kind of things. Like, I was going to mention this later, but, like, both Johnny and Daniel are given opportunities to get up off the mat through their mentors, right? In the case of Johnny, it's very obvious. It's that he's trying to solve stuff, but not really getting to what matters I think for him, which is Miguel and confronting that problem. Right. So he goes to Robbie and, and for Johnny, it's all about Miguel, right? It's all about others thing at the hospital. I'm not the one to put him in the hospital. So Johnny means well, but he hasn't reconciled that for Daniel. It's that he really can't move on from the idea that Mr. Miyagi would have been able to steer him right. And that he doesn't know himself, Johnny, the kick in the pants that he needs comes from crease skulking into the bar with Daniel finally given validation that he himself can be a guiding light and the people around him now can be that guiding light. Thank you, car commercial, appropriately. I think the consequences in this for Daniel are much broader because this has been the thing he struggled under the entire show. Mm -hmm. The looking for Mr. Miyagi. And now he doesn't have to in the same way anymore. I just want to shout out to the MVPs of this episode in my reckoning, which is Kumiko on the one hand and on the other, Jacob Bertrand. I really hate to see Hawk become this person, but we've already seen it coming and happening. And he's really showing how bullies work. They work the system. And in the case of Hawk, even though he was not, not uh, conforming to the system or he, he wasn't, didn't always seem like a preppy big man on campus guy. He's found his own way to slime his way in mm -hmm. with the administration. One other MVP of this episode is, of course, the budding romance between Yasmin and Dimitri, because the sexual Venn diagram can be nothing but foreshadowing. I think you bring up a great point, because we talk a lot about the, you know, the big flashy stuff, which is like the, you know, catching up with the legacy characters and going to a new location. Okinawa is a big flashy kind of power move for a show like this and I think the show is better for it certainly but at the same time I don't think that we should shortchange the cast the Cobras and the Miyagi-Dos who are doing so much back at home in West Valley to kind of forward the story and again there are parallels happening in that story as well that kind of mirror what's going on as Daniel is trying to find his way Sam is losing her way increasingly like any scene that she has to share with a Cobra Kai she just kind of slowly loses her shit every single time yep. and it's heartbreaking to see the same way as it's heartbreaking to see Hawk perform so well as a bully but we know that there is going to be a greater purpose to it later and it's something is going to flow out of it that might be useful or productive for these characters and i think that's something to look forward to yeah i agree i think the young cast i mean the premise of the show that makes it great obviously we care about johnny coming out from under crease's thumb and we care about daniel 
coming into his own. The, the young cast really are the ones who give us that simple pleasure of what's it like to live in the Miyagi-verse. Mm-hmm. And, and they struggle and they have their problems, but they're the ones who are allowed to kind of live out their youth in a way that feels really great. So it's fun to watch them. I think, you know, we're almost at the midpoint of the series. You know, we're getting the pivot where Daniel and Johnny are both seeing that there are things to consider that they might not have thought. For example, with Johnny, it's that Crease is still a threat to Miguel and possibly to Robbie, although Johnny isn't thinking about that because for Johnny, Robbie is his shame object. He's like over here. Um, as long as Johnny manages it, it'll all be okay. Johnny doesn't understand that that's really not true, that Robbie is his own person, that Robbie is pushing back, and that that could be toxic if Crease arrives on the scene. With Daniel, it's that he is his own pilot, and that means that Daniel's going to be free to make choices that he might have previously thought Mr. Miyagi might have disapproved of or might not have honored Mr. Miyagi appropriately. For Johnny, it's like, I'm going to have to try even harder to protect what I care about. With Daniel, it's I have the tools to do what I need to do. So in a way, there's sort of a role reversal happening between Johnny and Daniel. Obviously, with Chosen on the scene, things are about to get very interesting. It's very hard to talk about this episode without talking about the immediate next episode because they do kind of form like a kind of like a gentle two-parter right because daniel's still in okinawa for the next episode you know no spoilers but yeah that's what's happening it'll be very interesting to see how this kind of rolls into the next episode and how they kind of intertwine one to watch i would say the mvp of the two episodes together is undoubtedly the soundtrack by robinson and berenberg and also how they mix the new stuff with the old soundtrack from karate kid part two you can hear hints of that when daniel's flashing back you hear hints of it in the new mix that they do when chosen appears on the scene Mm -hmm. but definitely pay attention if you're following along with us and rewatching or watching for the first time as you watch the next episode, episode five, listen for the music because it really makes the whole experience. Well, I think that will do it for our recap and analysis of The Right Path. If you like our show, if you want to see our podcasting efforts grow, you can follow us on Twitter at Karate Kid Pod. You can follow us on Facebook or YouTube just by searching Are You Karate Kidding Me? Uh, We have our Facebook groups and things up there. You can join our debate on Twitter. Leave us a nice note. Leave us a review on iTunes. That is probably the biggest way you can help us uh, is by leaving a favorable review on iTunes. That will help our algorithm, apparently. From what I understand, you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms, uh, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, uh, Last FM. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, it's, but we're around. You'll find us. On that note, then, I would say Kanpai. On that note, I will also say Kanpai. And we will see you next time with Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode 5, Miyagi-Do. Until then, I've been Colin Canaday. I'm Jenny Carlson, and we'll see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Canaday and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter and wherever you download podcasts.